Okay, welcome back to uh, another edition of the Bullers Extra podcast as we get ready for week one of the college football season. Uh, Last week was week zero, which obviously Purdue and Penn State did not participate in. And um, be curious if Purdue ever got itself involved in a week zero game. Seems like Illinois, that's what they want to do. Uh, they love playing week zero games, but they are they're doing well at it, so they they uh, they might as well continue. But anyway, we're here to talk about Purdue Penn State coming up Thursday night. A lot of attention, national attention. Uh, Fox is doing the broadcast. The pregame show will be from Ross A. Just a lot of uh, a lot of uh, spotlights on this game for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, with Purdue, with what they have returning, and then Penn State trying to get itself right after last season. A lot of intrigue and a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, things to, to go over. And, and John Sauber from the uh, Center, Center Daily Times in State College, kind enough to join us today to break down the Penn State side of it, uh, where they're at, you know, where, where the Nittany Lions stand going into this game. And, John, appreciate your time. I know it's busy, and, you know, thanks for hopping on. Oh, happy to be on, Mike. This is, uh, you know, it's nice to be in this time of year where we stop, you know, sort of speculating and we get to <laughs> Right about the things we've all been pondering for the last few months, right. Uh, and you're right. This is like this seems to have a massive spotlight on it Thursday, and I think it's really going to have uh, some, some serious sway with how both of these team seasons go. Yes, no doubt. Um, but I want to go back to uh, kind of the end of last year with Penn State. Obviously, you, you, they come out of the season that they did. There's a lot of questions. Uh, just from and and we don't know for sure what the answers are at this point. Uh, because yet you, you haven't seen them play, but just on the surface, did they did they take care of the things they needed to take care of in the off season from a recruiting standpoint, from a transfer standpoint, to to put themselves in, in a position this year to 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 kind of push their program forward a little bit? Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's funny the the two questions that I think are biggest heading into the season for Penn State are, and they're kind of related, are the offensive line and the running game. And to me, the running game isn't that much of an issue. They should just not be running the ball as much, quite frankly. Uh, and they were having success passing the ball. Uh, and so, but, you know, they perceive that as a weakness. And I think they, they helped clear that up by getting Nick Singleton, a five-star recruit, and Keishon Allen, a four-star recruit, uh, who both should be involved pretty heavily early on in the season. Um, and then, you know, it, it's about the offensive line with this program year after year after year and whether or not it's going to finally take the step forward. And, and James Franklin, you know, frequently says in the off season that you know this is the year this is the year and he said it for several off seasons now this year he said he's going to let them prove it you know he's he's sort of done saying that this is the year he wants them to go out and show everyone everyone what they can be i tend to think they'll be better uh on the offensive line i think they'll be a good offensive line which is not something we've seen from them uh frankly in, in quite some time uh and then on the other side of the ball it's it's about the defense and replacing Brent Pry. Losing a, a longtime defensive coordinator like that is tough, uh, but replacing him with a longtime successful defensive coordinator, former head coach, and Manny Diaz is, I mean, it's, it's hard to spin it as anything other than a positive at this point. Uh, so I do think I still have concerns about game planning and their sort of mentality and how they want to handle their offense, but I think the perceived weaknesses from their standpoint are probably fixed. I just wonder if they're sort of trying to fix the wrong thing, uh, you know, rather, maybe rather than running the ball so much and trying to force balance, lean into what you are, lean into what Mike Yersich has been and, uh, as an offensive coordinator, and that's a, a heavy passing offense that, that could be prolific if they really push the envelope with it. 
How did the offensive line get to this point? Is this just more of a recruiting issue, or is there something else going on there? Yeah, so so with, you know, when the sanctions came down in, in uh, you know, I think it was 2012, they, the scholarship reduction really hit the offensive line hard. They were converting defensive linemen, playing them on the offensive line. And it just kind of felt like they never really recovered from that standpoint, even when they recruit well. Uh, I, I will say that they've had a hard time recruiting the highest end offensive tackle talent. And to be fair, most teams do, right? There's like four of those guys in the country that are 6'6", six, six, already 320 pounds or what have you with the length that you wanted offensive tackle. Uh, so they've mostly had to take projects off on uh, an offensive tackle, and they just kind of haven't developed um, how you would want to see. They've had good offensive tackles. They've had average to above average offensive tackles. But nobody that can really you know solidify either side of the line I think they have that this year with Olu Fashanu at, at left tackle. Caden uh, Wallace is good at right tackle. Um, they've generally been good on the interior. Last year it was about being a little bit undersized and maybe having guys that were, you know, they peaked early in their career and their, their development had kind of halted. So it's honestly been, uh, you know, you can go down a long list of things that has caused this, and it, it seems to be like one reason after another, like year after year, just something isn't working out the way it was intended and it's impossible for them to take that leap forward. This year feels like the first year where maybe those things are finally cohesive. Okay, so who who replaces Jihad Dotson? Oh, boy, that is the question, right? <laughs> that is the, uh, the ultimate question here. Um, I, I think, honestly, there is going to be a by-committee approach in the passing game. I think you're going to see more of Parker Washington, who has you know a good catch radius, not as, as amazing as Dotson, who could you know snag balls out of thin air. Um, Mitch Tinsley is going to get a lot of run after playing at Western Kentucky last year, being prolific, and and that was, I mean, frankly, Western Kentucky had the most fun offense in college football last year, and you know he he should be able to carry over a lot of that as a as a good starting uh, number two receiver for Penn State. Uh, but it's going to come down to those guys, I think, for replacing Donson. You know, Theo Johnson could get involved in the receiving game at tight end. I think they're going to try and replace Dotson by running the ball more, which, again, I question a little bit. Maybe it'll be more getting the screen game involved more with guys like Nick Singleton at running back. But there's there's not a one-to-one replacement, and that is a concern for Penn State because, I think, Dotson bailed him out time and time again last year. Uh, there were there were throws that he had no business catching, uh, and he hauled them in. There were times where he'd beat his guy by 10 yards downfield, and he would have to come back to passes. You know, So I, I think there's no real replacing of him and they kind of just have to hope that that everyone else takes a, a step forward on some level to help do it by committee well Purdue's in a similar situation because they they don't have anybody to replace david bell but right. they have they have other guys that do have some experience and they've added the two iowa transfers to help in that regard but you 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 can't replace david bell you can't replace jihad dotson i mean you just you can't do it. You do have to do it by committee. You get and you got to hope some some guys develop there. But I I, w- I want to go back to what you said uh, near the beginning about uh, Penn State trying to force the run on people because maybe that's what they're supposed to do. But do they have the confidence in Sean Clifford just to okay, let's chuck it around fifty five times and see where that takes us? That that is is a good question, honestly, and I think. You know, there were times last year where they showed they had that confidence and they would let him do it, and then he got hurt in the right. game against Iowa, you know, and that confidence kind of went away. But, you know, there were times where it looked like they should have all the confidence in the world in him, and they were trying to run the ball on. I don't know if, you know, if that's about Clifford as much as, much as it's about, like, this just sort of being determined to run the ball, right? Like, to prove everyone wrong and prove that you can run the ball. Uh, and 
like there was their game against Michigan State last year in East Lansing. It was incredibly snowy. The field was covered. Mm-hmm. But they were throwing the ball well because, as you know, everyone knows that Michigan State secondary was horrendous. <laughs> uh, and they got picked apart by everybody. And, and Sean Clifford, despite the snow, despite it being a blizzard and the field being covered, was throwing the ball incredibly well. And then I believe it was midway through the third quarter, they ran on nine out of 15 plays, and it completely stalled the offense out. They ended up losing the game because Clifford couldn't get back into a rhythm after that. And and you just wonder, like, okay, what was the point of this? What was the purpose of trying to run the ball here? We're watching Clifford dice them up, right? We're watching a Michigan State secondary that couldn't hang with any offense last year. And then suddenly it was as if there was just a point to prove, right, to say, like, we can run the ball. And sometimes it feels like that's all it is. Uh, I'm not a, you know, a, a Sean Clifford believer by any means. I think he's probably an above average quarterback in the Big Ten, and he's kind of been that for four years now. You kind of, you know, you live with the weaknesses and just hope he can manage a game uh, and, and be effective in the running game and make enough throws to allow your offense to be explosive, put playmakers in, in space and position to, to make something happen. Um, I don't think he's going to win you a ton of games, but he's capable of it. I don't think he's going to lose you a ton of games, but he's capable of that too. Uh, he's closer to the median, I think, than anything else. And I don't know. I, I think they, when, when he's good, they, they should be trusting him more. And I just wonder sort of the reasoning behind not doing it in situations like that Michigan State game. Well, as we saw last weekend, sometimes coaches get in their own way. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Without it being on purpose. They just kind of... Yeah. They just that was, that they, was, they light themselves on fire for no apparent re- reason. <laughs> yep, that that onside kick when it happened, I I just kind of stared at the TV in shock. I was like, that couldn't have been on purpose, right? Like, there's no way they meant to do that. Yeah, but anyway, we're visiting with John Sauber from the Center Daily Times covers Penn State. Does a great job of covering the the Nittany Lions, and uh, of course, Purdue hosts Penn State Thursday night at Ross Aid Stadium. Uh, let's go to the defensive side. Last time Purdue and Penn State played, uh, 2019, the Penn State sacked Jack Plummer ten times. Uh, that was Aiden O'Connell's first game as a Boilermaker. He got on, he got in at the end, but didn't get sacked. So that that was a saving grace for him. But and I understand personnel have changed and all that. But where, where do you where do you put this defensive line uh, from a Penn State perspective? Because any any every meeting between Purdue and Penn State really, in my opinion, comes down to one simple thing. Can Purdue hold its own on the line of scrimmage? And in in most of the meetings, they have not. So where do things stand from a defensive front standpoint uh, for Penn State going into this opener? I, I honestly think this defense as a whole is going to be one of the five best in the country. right? Like For as low as I am on the offense, I think this defense is going to be phenomenal. And I think part of that starts up front, um, especially on the edges. They have Adisa Isaac back from a torn Achilles uh, he tore it last offseason. He seems to be back and ready to go. He's an he's an excellent athlete. Uh, he is he's a force off the edge, a sort of prototypical pass rusher uh, that you're looking for in the in, in modern football. Um, he's he's added even more strength, which means he's going to be you know if he can add a bull rush to the athleticism, he's going to be even more dangerous. Um, then they have so the other defensive end spot is it, right now it looks like it's going to be a rotation between Nick Tarburton and Chop Robinson. Tarburton's more of your sort of run stopper who can, you know, get a, a, a sack if, you know, the quarterback holds the ball too long or uh, the circumstances line up. But Robinson is a former five-star recruit transferred in from Maryland who has one of the quickest first steps you'll see in college football. Uh, just an unbelievable first step. He's a pass rush specialist at this point. Uh, James Franklin actually said today that 
he expects Chop to play, you know, starter snaps, even if he doesn't start, which I think was the anticipation uh, for, you know, everyone who covers the team as well. But, you know, having him confirm that sort of confirms this this idea that they're going to have two pass rushers out there almost at all times that can that can really be dynamic and, and Deesa Isaac and, and Chop Robinson. Um, the interiors where things get interesting, right? Because P.J. Mustafer is more of a run stuffer who can mm-hmm. use the strength to sort of hold up interior offensive linemen. But Hakeem Beeman is undersized at defensive tackle, but is is twitchy, can get up field, was a great pass rusher, didn't play last year for undisclosed reasons. Um, he was ruled out early in the season. Uh, don't believe it was injury. Believe it was, it was uh, non-injury related. And, you know, him getting back out on the field, I'll be curious to see how he does on the interior just because, you know, he hasn't played for a year. And Mustafa even, uh, you know, hurt his knee against Iowa last year. He missed the rest of the season after that point. So there's, there's, there might be some rust on the interior, but I think this team's going to be able to rush the passer this year. Uh, and, and I think, you know, this, this first game is going to be a good test of just how far back the two injured guys are, just how good Robinson can be early and just, you know, how ready Beeman is to, to sort of regain a role after not playing last season. Okay. So Manny Diaz adds what to this defense? What will they be able to do this year that maybe they didn't do last year? As the new coordinator, yeah, and be aggressive. Like this team, it, you know, it's the Manny Diaz uh, special, right? The uh, we, we everyone knows what the the, uh, the turnover chain is. Penn State <laughs> doesn't have the turnover chain, which is much to my chagrin. I think that is one of those fun things in college football. Uh, but they they are going to force turnovers. They are going to be aggressive. They're going to go after the ball, and they have the personnel to do it too. It's one thing to want to turn the ball over, force teams to turn the ball over to pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. It's another to have enough personnel in the secondary and on the the edges of the defensive line to go do it. And I think this is going to be probably the most aggressive defense we've seen in the James Franklin era. Um, They're going to be flying after the ball. I think they're going to, you know, Jair Brown tied for the lead in the nation with six interceptions last year. I think he's going to be up there again. Uh, He's a ball hawk in the secondary. He's a guy that I think is going to be a day two pick in the NFL draft, uh, you know, in 2023. This is... You know, like I said earlier, I think this is a top five defense, and I think a lot of that is the mentality shift with Diaz to go from, you know, I don't want to call Brent Pry's defenses passive, but they were more bent but don't break. This is a defense that's going to try to punch you in the mouth and force you to lose the game. Right. Well, that's that'll be interesting to see on uh, on Thursdays. I mean, you did touch on the secondary a little bit, and they they have some talented guys back there that probably they probably feel confident just kind of playing Purdue straight up at least early to see how Purdue reacts to you know their coverages is that was that be a fair assessment yeah I I think so I think they've got you know the personnel back there especially you know Joey Porter Jr. obviously the son of of Joey Porter uh, is is going to be their number one corner is probably going to follow the number one wide out in those situations I am really interested to see uh, you know, from a Purdue perspective, Charlie Jones uh, in this offense, right? Because I, I always thought he was underutilized at Iowa. Um, and I, Everybody's uh, I, underutilized at Iowa. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> but it, it feels like, you know, he's the kind of wideout that Jeff Brom takes and, and really maximizes. Uh, I, I feel like we could see a potential breakout game for him in week one, even if Penn State secondary is playing well because he's such a dynamic player in the open field. Um, that, that and Brom will put him in those positions like he used to do with Rondale Moore. Obviously, David Bell was a different animal, but you know I don't know if Penn 
State has the kind of ideal corner to match up with Jones. I, I think Daquan Hardy can be that. Uh, he's their, their slot corner. He's a little undersized at 5'9", but he's quick and he's good, uh, you know, sort of at hanging with guys. Um, but I do think that the, the biggest weakness for Penn State in that secondary is going to be when Joey Porter Jr. gets tested downfield, is he going to grab? Because he gets handsy. He, he holds, he commits pass interference. And if you can put him in those situations, you can get him to make that mistake, or at least you could last year. Uh, and if he's improved off that, then, you know, again, that's a, another step forward uh, in the defense's favor. But, yeah, I think this, this secondary sort of – I think every secondary is going to struggle with Purdue's offense because uh, Brom is so good at getting guys in space and letting them work. Uh, but I, I do think that outside of Jones, Penn State's pretty well equipped to handle, uh, you know, most things on the perimeter. Anything stand out on special teams right now for, for Penn State? They are replacing a whole lot, right? And, and a whole lot is Jordan Stout and Jahan Dotson. Uh, Jordan Stout did everything. Uh, he punted. He kicked long field goals. He kicked off last year. He was one of the best. You know, he had one of those powerful legs in college football. The Ravens obviously take him in the fourth round to punt there. Um, you know, the, the punting game is, is going to come down to Barney Amore, who – you know, was a walk-on, got awarded a scholarship by Eli Manning recently. That, that video went viral. <laughs> right. um, you know, and the the kicking game is going to Jake Pinnaker, who, you know, he's been inconsistent. Uh, he's evidently had a good camp, but you just never know until you see a kicker go do it in a game situation, and I wonder how consistent they're going to be from a kicking standpoint. Uh, kickoffs are, you know, they, they're still figuring out that comp- uh, competition. Gabe Mosu, who is a six foot six, 300-pound punter, which is my favorite thing about this Penn State team by far, uh, that he is one of the kickoff specialists, and so is Sandra Sahidik. Uh, but they still don't know who's going to be the winner there. And then, you know, you said it earlier, Dotson's impossible to replace, and that applies to special teams too. Uh, they don't have, for as good as Parker Washington is in the open field, he's not Jahan Dotson. So, uh they, they are going to struggle to replace Dotson from that standpoint, too. So this is a team with a lot of turnover on special teams, including at coordinator where Joe Lewerke left for Oregon and was replaced by Stacey Collins. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is a whole new unit from almost every standpoint. It's going to be one of the interesting facets of the game to watch just because not a lot of odds are going to go to that for the season opener, but I think it'll be worth monitoring. Right. Hey, I did want to ask you just a couple other questions, and I – I think James Franklin alluded to it today, but have they ever got an explanation for the Big Ten why they always start on the road? They do not, but they are not happy about it. Well, I wouldn't be happy about it either. <laughs> I don't, right, that's what I'm saying. I don't blame them. They, uh, it was funny, Pat Kraft gets hired as the uh, the athletic director uh, this offseason, and it's one of the first things he mentions at Big Ten Media Days, right? And then James mentioned it too, and it is it is crazy, right? This is three years in a row. Conference games on the road. Now, the COVID year is a different situation right. that right. led to that. But still going to Madison for a noon game in Camp Randall and then going to Purdue for a Thursday <laughs> night game uh, in West Lafayette in a blackout. Like, that, uh, <laughs> there's clearly not enough clout to carry them to, to begging for whatever schedule they want because they're not winning that battle right now. Yeah, and I just I find it odd that they, they 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 are put in this position time and time again to to do it. I mean, yes, their their name carries a lot of weight from a TV standpoint and from an interest standpoint, but you can easily put one of these games at home. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not the that hard. The stadium has plenty of room for those fans too. <laughs> That's true, and also just kind of wanted to uh, your take and kind of gauge the temperature of James Franklin at this point of his Penn State career and just kind of where where he's at and maybe what he needs to do to 
to, to push Penn State back to obviously where people want it to be. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because last year felt like a crossroads, right, where, where a decision was going to be made about James Franklin's future, and then he gets a 10-year, $80 million extension where the buyout is the rest of the contract. So to fire him after this season, it's going to cost $72 million. So he's not getting fired. He, right. They could go 0-12, and, and nobody's you know nobody's putting up $72 million to, to let him go. So it's... Uh, he's got the job security. He's, you know, the recruiting classes have stacked up. It's just, you know, the, there are reasons why the last two years happened. There's there are reasons why they, they have been bad the last two years to their sta- uh, compared to their usual standard. Quite frankly, uh, but it still it still kind of doesn't add up from that standpoint, right? Like they still should have been better than seven and six last year. They still should have been better than four and five uh, during the COVID year. Um, and I understand things go wrong and it's difficult uh, to to make up for a quarterback injury like they had last year. But, but again, it just seems like there's always something, right? There's always something at fault for why they just can't do it or they just can't get there. Franklin will advocate that they need better facilities, that they need more investment in the program, which, you know, I, I believe is true, right? They, they do need, if they, they want to compete with Ohio State, they need to spend like Ohio State. If you want to compete with Bama, you need to compete or you need to spend like Bama. That's mm-hmm. just kind of the college football. Um and so I don't know that if the if the university in the athletic department isn't willing to make that level of investment that they'll ever reach that level because it is I, I give Franklin credit you know for all of his his faults like recruiting to state college is not easy and he's done it at a really really high level um, and, and they've done it at a really really high level consistently this year the, the incoming class that that you know we'll see Thursday night uh, get some game action like. That's that's a high end recruiting class, but they got to stack them together. They need to follow that up with another one that's in the top ten to fifteen this year, and and build upon it. Uh, some of it too is offensive stability, right? Like I mean, you've had the stability of Sean Clifford being there and starting for four years, being there for six. Uh, but I don't know if that's you know necessarily a positive from a development standpoint. But they also, you know, this is Clifford's first year having the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. Right? He, he just hasn't had that luxury yet, so it's tough to even judge him um, based on the, the turnover they've had. So I think they need to find that offensive consistency, and that's where that's going to dictate everything, I think, from here on out, Franklin's tenure. They had great defenses under Brent Pry. Uh, they had great defenses under Bob Shoup. I think they're going to have a great defense under Manny Diaz, and who knows how long he'll be there, because I imagine he'll be a hot commodity this offseason if they're as good as I think they can be. Um, but they, they need to find the offensive consistency, and you know, Franklin, that's the side of the ball that he coached on before he came, became a head coach. And, and you always wonder, you know, will the offensive coordinator truly have control when the when the head coach has a background there? And that's a question that we don't know the answer to and one that I think needs to be answered in order to figure out just what this team is. Because we've seen when he gives the defensive coordinator full control, the defenses have flourished. When he gave Joe Moorhead almost full control when he was the offensive coordinator the offense flourished uh but we haven't seen that since then and i don't know if franklin has taken more control of the offense or if you know he's putting his thumb on the scale a little bit here or there but i I do think they they basically just have to figure it out offensively to get to that level um and to stay at that level because it's difficult it's difficult for any program to do we're seeing it with clemson right sort of tailing off a little bit after being there for a few years right I think he's he's a good enough recruiter to do it. I think he makes excellent hires. I just think it's a matter of finding uh, the consistency when you have the ball. Well, Jeff Brom solves that problem on his own because he calls his own plays. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and he's very, very good. 
good at he's it. Very, he's very good at it, and he calls his own plays, so he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that issue, and he just he turns over the defense to somebody that he trusts. And over the last two years, or last year, it kind of turned around, and they they expect kind of the same thing uh, this year. Well, John, we appreciate your time today. Uh, John's work at the Center Daily Times in State College, lovely town. Very hard to get to, but still a lovely town once you get there. Uh, anyway, uh, hit up John and uh, follow his work leading up to Thursday night. We appreciate John jumping on uh, the podcast today. John, uh, thanks for your time. Safe. I assume you're coming on Thursday. Yep, that's right. I will be there. <laughs> Leaving Wednesday night, flying to Chicago. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, John, and uh, safe travels uh, getting here to West Lafayette. Once again, we thank John Sauber from the Center Daily Times and State College for providing excellent insight on Penn State uh, for Thursday's uh, game uh, at ross Age Stadium, a huge game, uh, not only because it's the opener and a lot of eyeballs will be on this game, but you have Purdue coming off a a nine-win season. They've got a lot of personnel back. You have your quarterback returning and Aiden O'Connell, who's in his sixth year. Um, and you've got a defense that has eight starters back and some playmakers on that side of the ball. Um, and there's there's a lot of a lot of promise about what can happen this year for Purdue. And there there is a pathway to have a very special season this year for Purdue when you look at the schedule. And but a lot of that starts Thursday night. And it, it, the way that I've phrased this over the off season is, uh, you know, Purdue doesn't need the need to win the game to have the season that they want. But if they win the game, I think it sets them sets sets themselves sets themselves up, excuse me, to potentially have a special season and there is a pathway to 10 games. But it, but even if they lose the game Thursday, they're still in line to have a have a good season. I mean, not all is going to be lost if if that game doesn't go Purdue's way. Uh, on Thursday, on the other hand, not everything is guaranteed. But when you, if you can get a win Thursday, you're looking at potentially going four and zero in September. And then when you go to the back half of the schedule, you look who Purdue finishes with: Iowa, a team that they've played very well against; uh, Illinois, a team that they have played well against; Northwestern, maybe not have. Maybe they haven't played well every year against Northwestern, but it's a team you feel like you match up well against. And then Indiana to close things out. So if you look at a potential 4-0 start and a potential 4-0 finish, the month of October kind of defines what kind of season that you're going to have. And the month of October is a very difficult month for Purdue because you're at Minnesota, a team that... Purdue has not fared well against under Jeff Brom. You go to Maryland, which has maybe the outside of Ohio State the most explosive offense in the Big Ten, with their quarterback and their receivers and all five returning offensive linemen. You know, Purdue hosts Nebraska, which hasn't been a daunting challenge over the years, but we'll see who the coach is at that point if there is a change. And then they're at Wisconsin, the team that they've they haven't beaten in a long, long time. So if, if you if you if if you're Purdue and you get off to that four and start and then you finish four and 
and you go two and two in October, you've set yourself up to, to win ten games. Now, not everything is that easy. Can Purdue stay healthy? We've all we've already seen a couple key injuries in preseason practices with Garrett Miller, the number two tight end, going down, and and then Demar J. Lewis, uh, one of the defensive tackles, going down, uh, which will affect the, the the depth on the defensive line. Uh, there, there's bodies there. There's there's players there, but uh, Lewis would be that next guy. Would have been that next guy up to be a starter if something happened to Branson Dean and or uh, Lawrence Johnson. So you know they're they're taking a little bit hit. Garrett Miller's a playmaker at tight end, and I don't, I don't know if people truly understand the the impact that that's probably going to have because you got to keep Payne Durham healthy. Uh, if Payne Dur- Durham can stay healthy the whole year, then that that will be a huge bonus. But you know, Garrett Miller is a guy that you were uh, you you were lining up him and Durham in a lot of formations and forcing the defense to to pick and choose what you know what they were going to do with those two. So that that is a significant loss, and you know we'll see how that how that plays out. But you know things kind of start Thursday night. Not a must win, but it's a win that Purdue needs to have if it wants to really catapult itself into this twenty twenty two season. But you know you can't win. Can't beat Penn State and then go lose to Syracuse, uh, or you can't lose Penn State and then lose to Syracuse. I mean, as much as you, you talk about potential ten wins, but you know Purdue could also win four. Uh, you know, if you suffer some key injuries, uh, you lose Penn State, you lose to Syracuse, you lose Minnesota, you lose Maryland, you lose Wisconsin, so on and so forth. Iowa solves finally solves you. I mean, there's the margin for error. As always with Purdue football is very, uh, very slim, um, and there's not. I mean, you have to keep your main guys as healthy as possible. And the good news, at least to start the game on Thursday, is um, most of, most if not all, the the key guys that Purdue has had questions about in the in the preseason practices: Jalen Graham, Branson Dean, Jamari Brown, Corey Trice, uh, Brock Thompson. Uh, they all appear ready to go uh, for for Thursday's game. Uh, that doesn't mean all those guys are going to start. I would probably uh, anticipate uh, Reese Taylor potentially starting at a cor- cornerback spot along with Trice. Um, the receiver position is probably not going to be as deep as we think to to start start the season. Uh, you know, you got Charlie Jones, you got Tyrone Tracy. Uh, you know, Brock Thompson is supposed to play. I think those will be the main three guys uh, from a perimeter standpoint. And then you've got T.J. Sheffield and Deion Burks in the slot. Tyrone Tracy will play some slot as well. But, you know, Mershon Rice, who's been, you know, battling injuries throughout his career. Uh, Abdur Rahim Yassin also has been battling uh, some injuries. Colin Sullivan, you know, what's his status for, for this week? You know, Elijah Cannon, uh, transfer from Auburn, uh, really started those preseason practices on a on a strong note and was making plays, but he kind of tailed off toward the end. Uh, we'll see if he gets involved uh, in the mix and just how all those uh, how how the how the receivers how that mixes and matches going into uh, into this season because. You know, you've got Brock Thompson, who had off-season surgery on both legs, and he has been hit and miss in those preseason practices. Uh, you know, how, how long can he hold up? Um, and, you know, what do you have to do to, to maximize that position 
to get you know to get guys on the field because uh, you know it's going to be the first game and you know how how long do guys uh, hold up so uh, a lot of intrigue going on you know I think Purdue's in a in a in a good position they have good experience on the offensive line they're going to play more guys they have depth on the defensive line uh, I think when healthy their secondary uh, should be pretty good with Cam Allen at safety uh, and Chris Jefferson you got Jalen Graham as your nickel who can float around and play a lot of different spots and I think Corey Trice uh, obviously one of the better players in the Big Ten at cornerback but you know he hasn't played since um, you know last year yeah you know it's probably in September when he got hurt uh, and he was out for the year so he's been out a while um, and do, you know does Penn State go after them and test test those guys uh, early in the game to see how they're they're going to hold up and you know I think that's a question you know can Purdue still defensively produce what it did last year without the star power of a George Karloftis and the same on offense you don't have the star power of David Bell you have a good group of receivers but you don't have that star power and how 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 will Purdue hold up without without the without that without those those kind of guys and you know I think we saw in the bowl game they held up well but now you you know you need to do it over uh, the long the long season and you just can't um you know one game doesn't doesn't you know define everything but you know Purdue did play well enough in that bowl game to win that game and I do think special teams for Purdue can be a strength uh you know with Charlie Jones now in the return game you've got a lot of experience in other places when you look at the long snapper the kicker and the punter um and you have a new special teams coordinator and how how that may operate. I, I think this could be one of uh, the better special team units uh, that Brahm has had. Uh, so, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, they just can't have mistakes in that area. And as I said, this is this season is going to be a lot of, you know, no margin for error. No matter who they're playing, when they're playing, there's just not going to be a lot of uh, leeway. Turnovers are going to kill you. Penalties are going to kill you, um, and you know they have to be they have to be sharp from the from the get go here. And um, you know we'll see. You know you know as we mentioned on the podcast, uh, you know Penn State's strength has usually been at the line of scrimmage uh, throughout their history, and especially when they played Purdue. And I can't remember a game where Purdue has actually won the line of scrimmage battles uh, against Penn State. Um, and they 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 have to hold their own uh, on Thursday in that in both areas, offensive line and defensive line. Uh, they have to hold their own and not get run over, not get dominated. Because uh, if one if if the defensive line gets dominated, it's you know the game will be over because Penn State will be able to run the ball, and the offensive line's got to be able to protect the quarterback. And you know you can't have ten sacks like you had three years ago in State College. Uh, that 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 will just not cut it. So Purdue, I, I think it comes down to both line, lines of scrimmage, in my opinion, if Purdue is able uh, to win this game. All right, well, thanks for uh, stopping by the podcast. And once again, thanks, John, to John Sauber from the Center Daily Times for breaking down Penn State. Uh, we'll be back with a post-game edition uh, we'll see when we do it, depending on what time 
<laughs> the game is over and what time that uh, I'll be leaving uh, the ross Eight Stadium area on Thursday night or Friday morning, uh, I guess. We may, may wait till Friday, uh, like during normal business hours, to, <laughs> to recap the game, depending uh, on what happens and how it plays out and all that kind of stuff. So be patient if we don't put up a post-game edition uh, uh, real quick, but we'll get to it eventually. Anyway, thanks for stopping by. appreciate it. Have a good day. If you have any questions, concerns, reach out. We'd love to, to, to hear, uh, hear from people about you know, what they think and you know, what's going to happen this season uh, with, uh, with Purdue. So until next time, uh, have a good day.